revelation of your word. We pray, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, that you would speak to our hearts, touch our ears and our understanding, and help us to pray, help us to seek your face, and to talk to you, Lord, in the way that you desire us to, to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 6, Matthew records this same interaction between Jesus and his disciples. Um, however, this time Jesus is now teaching in his Sermon on the Mount. He's reiterating this private lesson that he taught his disciples. And uh, I love what Jesus says before the prayer. Because it, 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 this is a beautiful prayer, really. The Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's one of those memorable prayers. It's poetic in nature. It's, it's beautiful. It's, uh, it's got a lovely flow to it. But I love what Jesus said before he taught the disciples this prayer. In Matthew 6, verse 9, he said, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. After this manner. And so what Jesus was teaching was not a prayer to be recited. Well, I think it's fine to, to say it the way it was written. And I think it's fine as long as it's coming from your heart. But Jesus was teaching a manner of prayer not so much a memorization of prayer. In fact, if you go into your Bible and you try to find the passage to teach you how to pray, you won't really find it apart from this one. Jesus is answering a question from his disciples, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and Jesus responded by saying, <coughs> excuse me, pray in this way. Pray in this way. And so this is not a, a vain repetition prayer. You know, if you say that the Our Father prayer three times in a row, it's not going to make it more special. It's not going to make it more impactful. What makes this prayer impactful is it's the, the order or the manner that you pray in. It's, it's like a guide that you can use to structure your prayer time with the Lord. And what the disciples, you know, it's interesting, they, they followed Jesus for three and a half years, and they saw Jesus do things like raise people from the dead. That was pretty cool, right? Jesus actually stopped a funeral procession and raised the guy on the, on the funeral bed up from the dead and, and brought him back to life. That's pretty, that's pretty bold. Can you imagine pulling your car out in front of, you know, those funeral processions you see where it's the long, you're supposed to pull over and let them pass. But let's, you know, what if you, you stopped the funeral procession and opened up the back of the hearse and said, okay, pull up the casket, open up the cat. I mean, people would be going nuts. What are you doing? Right. You can't call the police. But that's what Jesus did. And it was just as... As, as dramatic and bold and, and abrasive to do it then as it is to do it today. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus healed people by spitting on the ground and creating a little ball of mud and sticking it into the eye of someone who was blind. 
And another time he healed someone who was blind. The Bible says Jesus actually spit in the guy's face. Like, I mean, he wasn't always conventional with his methods. Right. You know? Jesus, Jesus called out the Pharisees. He, he reiterated things that John the Baptist said. And, and then he even called them whitewashed tombs that had rotting dead man bones inside. Mm. I mean, that's pretty bold. Yes, to call out the, 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 the leading religious leaders of his day and, and, and basically tear them down in public in that way. That, that was bold. But Jesus' disciples never said to him, Jesus, teach us how to be more bold. Teach us how to raise. How did you raise that guy from the dead, Jesus? How did you know? How, what was the signal from God that, that signaled to you that this was the thing to do that morning or that day? What Jesus' disciples did ask him to teach them to do was pray. Why? Because the disciples, I think, clued into the idea that Jesus' power and source and strength came not from his ability to do miracles or his boldness to speak wise and controversial things to religious leaders, but the power that Jesus held in his life was in his prayer. And if they wanted the power that Jesus had, they needed to pray the kinds of prayers that Jesus prayed, and Jesus prayed a lot. You could title the gospel according to St. Luke, the gospel according to prayer. Because it is the gospel according to the life of Jesus' prayer. The other evangelists, Matthew, Mark, and John, say that Jesus was in the Jordan and the Spirit descended on him like a dove when he was baptized. But Luke said it was while he was praying after he came out of the water that the Spirit descended on him. The other evangelists record that Jesus chose his 12 disciples, but Luke said it was after he spent a night in prayer that he chose his 12 disciples. The other writers of the gospel say that Jesus, while he died on the cross, he just was there and he died. But Luke records that even while he was dying, he was praying for those who persecuted him. Luke is the only one who recorded the prayer life of Jesus. The other evangelists write that while Jesus was on the mountain, he was transfigured before his close disciples' eyes. But Luke records that it was while Jesus was praying on the mountain that he was transfigured before his disciples. Because there's nothing more transfiguring or transformative than prayer. The scriptures say that the disciples went to bed, but Jesus went to pray as it was his custom, because it was his custom to pray. Now, you say, why would Jesus, God in flesh, need to pray? Was he praying to himself? No, it was the humanity of Jesus that required prayer, because prayer is the connection between humanity and divinity. Amen. Connection that happens between God and man is the connection that is forged in prayer. If Jesus needed all of that time in prayer, if Jesus required it for his daily function and to stay about his father's business, then what do you think we need daily in our lives? If Jesus, God in the flesh, modeled for us a lifestyle of prayer, then for us prayer should be something we do and do 
often and frequently. But I don't mean the formal kind, you know, that gets you the checkbox list, but the kind of intimate prayer that you have all day long. Paul wrote in his in his letter to the Thessalonians, he said, I want you to learn how to pray without ceasing. I want prayer to be your daily language. I want it to be your go-to. When you have a question, you need to pray. When you have a concern, you need to pray. When that person randomly comes to your mind, you need to pray. And it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer, we call it, but really it's the disciples' prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer because it's the prayer the Lord prayed, but it was really the disciples' prayer because it's the prayer the Lord taught his disciples to pray. So the disciples' prayer is not long. It's, it's relatively short. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That doesn't take very long to pray. So prayer doesn't necessarily have to be hours and hours while it can be. And God can lead you there. And Jesus prayed one time all night long. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with long prayers. But don't get intimidated that your prayers to be effective have to be long. Amen. Amen. Sometimes your prayers can be short and sweet. And it's the attitude behind your prayer. I preached a couple weeks ago. That your attitude towards prayer is actually what makes the difference. It's your attitude. And your attitude is checked on the first line of this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus recognized that God was his Father. And by recognizing God as my Father, I have to address maybe the issues that I have with my own father and realize that that my father may have been good may have been bad i don't know your personal experience but you have to realize and understand that 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 your heavenly father is perfect in every way he always provides he's always there he never abandons he never leaves and whatever baggage you carry in your life with your earthly father you can come to your heavenly father for healing and he will restore and renew your perspective of what a father is. So come to God as your father. Our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means to make holy. So the first prayer request of the disciples prayer. Is for God's name to be made holy in the earth. Let your name be made holy. The translation of hallowed is let it be holy. Our Father which art in heaven, let your name be holy. Hallowed be your name. And then the second prayer is your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This flies in the face of our North American mindset. Our Western idea of a king and a kingdom. We don't really have a sense unless you come from a nation where it's a monarchy. There's not very many of them in the world today. And even the monarchies that are existing, the one you might be thinking of is Britain, England, where there's still a crowned king 
and there's still princes, and there's still lords, and duchesses, and, and dukes, and different ideas. Those, those kings and princes are really, in, at least as far as the UK is concerned, a figurehead. But they have no real power. The King of England has no real power to affect change within the nation of England because it's a there is a democracy ruling. There's prime ministers and cabinets, and now the king, while he has a figure of power and he has the figure of a bygone day, has no real authority anymore to affect change in his nation. This is not the kind of kingdom that 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 God is trying to set up where God is a figurehead in which we get to rule by democratic votes and, and ideas and the vote of the people. No, see, the kind of kingdom that God is setting up is a real monarchy where, where the, the king has a will that is to be obeyed, not questioned or re-elected. Those who cross the will of the king usually have a steep price to pay. And in this kingdom, you don't own the land you live on. You live on the king's land. You simply take care of the land for him. You become a steward of the land that is his because it's his domain. It's the king's domain. It's the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the subjects of the land speak the language of the king. When England was still a kingdom, they would establish colonies in foreign countries and the first thing done as part of that colony being established as the colony would learn how to speak English, the king's English, they called it. Because if you're going to be a part of the kingdom, you've got to speak the language of the king. A king in a kingdom, foreign colonies took on the look of the homeland. You go to Maryland, United States, you go to Washington, D.C., and you'll notice that the structures of a lot of the buildings there is what they call the colonial style. And they all had a uniform look. And if you go to England, you're going to find the similar look. Huh? You, go to, you go to Ottawa and you'll see there's a look. There's a colonial look. There's a, a British look to the style of, uh, of decoration and, and the way. Why? Because it was a colony of Great Britain. It was a colony of another kingdom. And so it is with us as kingdom, being part of God's kingdom, our homes need to look like heaven. Our houses need to feel like heaven. When people come into your home, they need to feel something different. They need to see something different. They need to hear something different. The way you dress, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you think, the way you all should be a reflection of the kingdom of God because the church is an ambassador. We are, we are an, an embassy, if you will, of the kingdom of heaven on earth. This is not heaven, and this will never be heaven. Your life on earth will never be heaven. Jesus said in this life you will have trouble. You will have trial. You will have tribulation. But be of good courage. I have overcome the world. And while you are here, you're an ambassador of an embassy that is from another world, from another place, and it is not of this world. You are in the world, but not of the world. Jesus is the king of the heavenly kingdom, but the mission God is on is to step up his kingdom here on the earth. See, it was the ancient prophecy of Isaiah, chapters 9, verse 7, said, of the increase of his government and peace, there would be no end. 
God literally wants His kingdom to expand and continue to expand and never stop expanding upon the earth. Jesus' kingdom isn't relegated to a church building on the corner of Clements and Westy Road. It's, it's not relegated to a, a, a church organization or a group of people, but the kingdom of God is meant to continue to spread and spread beyond the borders of every culture, every, every background, every history, every, every nation and breed of people. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to spread and to continue spreading. So when you pray, you pray for the kingdom of God to come. You've got to deal with your baggage of someone being your king. In North America, we are very individualistically minded. We, we think like individuals predominantly. That's the culture of North America. Now, some of you might hail from another country that has a more collective out view, a, a, a more collectivist culture where you think in terms of family and family honor and, and, and that's more important to you. But just so you know, the Western Canadian North American culture is very individualistic. You don't have to spend very much time on the internet or on television or on any kind of social media network before you find that every ad is directed to the individual. The individual to better their appearance. And, and by the way, the standard of that, that better is some kind of graphically enhanced image of someone that doesn't actually exist. Yes, the person on that magazine cover, the cover of that magazine, is not actually that beautiful. Uh, they, they, they are a beautiful individual, but strip away the makeup, strip away the hair dye, strip away the, the fancy clothes, and then undo all the edits they did in Photoshop to make it even better, and the lips bigger, and the cheeks cheekbones higher and the chin pointier and the, the double chin disappear. After they do all those Photoshop edits, you're left with this unrealistic expectation and the, the strive for beauty for the individual that will never be met because the standard is set impossibly high. Canadian North American culture is very individualistic. We say things like, uh, you know, I am smart funny, athletic, and kind. We might describe ourselves that way in North America, but in, in collective cultures, they might say something like, I'm a good parent, I'm a good sibling, I'm a good friend. Because everything is not about me, it's about my circles, it's about my collective culture. And, and, and if someone disgraces the family, I am disgraced because I'm part of the collective, I'm part of the group. And so the, the, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the collective of God's culture, God's kingdom. To the individual, we don't like the idea of a king with absolute authority. We bristle at the idea of a government being able to control what we say and what we do. We like our freedom of speech. We like our freedom of religion in our individualistic culture, but in a kingdom, there is no freedom in that way. The freedom comes from aligning with the dictates of the king. Now, that, that, that immediately flares up, I mean, it flares up for me. I don't, you're not alone in that, but that, that bristling, that uncomfortable feeling you get when I talk like that comes from the fact that we have baggage around the idea with someone with absolute authority. And just so you know, the only one who can really execute that kind of authority with truth and justice 
and perfection in every way so that no one is taken advantage of is Jesus Christ. Amen. So there's no human government that can mirror that. You, you, can't, you can't look at any kingdom that exists today and say, well, that is... That is what the kingdom of God looks like. No, I'm sorry. There's no human being on this earth that can adequately, justly, and righteously execute a king or a kingdom. But if God is king, then he's the one who can truly and rightly execute that. When we, when we become part of the kingdom of God, we allow ourselves to become part of his authority, his rulership over our lives. When he says something is good, we say it's good. If God says something is bad, then as a king who has absolute authority, we look at that and we say, God says it's bad, so it's not good for me. I can't live this way. I can't act this way. I can't dress this way. I can't do that because I don't want to live outside of the protection of my king. You see why attitude matters when you pray? Because if you're praying for God's kingdom to come, but in your mind you're really saying, as long as it's okay with me, then that's not a real kingdom. Prayer is shedding our human desires to adapt the desires of our king. Prayer is about aligning yourself with God and his kingdom. And notice Jesus didn't start out with God as king. How did Jesus start out his prayer? God as my father. Because before he's my king, he's my dad. Before he's my absolute authority, he's my parent. He's the one who's going to be patient with me while I make mistakes. He's the one who's going to hold me accountable and discipline me and teach me because a father's role, especially a biblical fatherly role, is a teacher in the home. The father's role is to teach his children and to guide them and to bring them up and to, to teach them in a way that does not lead them to anger, not to provoke them to anger, but to teach them in grace and in truth and in love and in discipline and hold them account. The father is supposed to be the, the cornerstone of the family to hold it together when everybody else is, is falling apart. The father's role is to be the steady, to be the, the staple, to be the consistent. That's, that's the biblical role of a father for God. And God can help you in that area. There's no, there's no doubt about it. We all need work in that area, man. We all need work in our, our fatherly roles in our society. And, and God help us to reestablish the, the, the biblical role of a father in the family. Amen, amen. Because it's the cornerstone. It's that solid rock. It's that that that's why men are more less, more or less not given to big emotions. And not great on emotional things because their design is to be more steady, more rock-like, more, more stable. And there's, there's give and take in that, right? There's, obviously, it's not meant to be uh, a stoic forever. There's supposed to be emotion. We can work on that. But that's why God created man. You were created that way on purpose. Amen. God created you that way for a reason. You have value in your home. You have a, a place in your family. God has a place for the men in our society. Right. And this world is trying to strip men of that image. They're trying to, to reduce men and say, well, there really is no difference between male and female. Yes, there is. And we need both sides of the coin to make this thing work. We've got to pray. Jesus identified God as his father first. 
there's a relationship there first before God. And that's, you need to remember, before you get uncomfortable with God stepping into your business and telling you that everything you have is actually his, and, and you're now, it's this, you know, monarchy coming in on you. You need to realize that he's your father first. And before you ever thought you owned anything, he was providing for you. Come on, all the parents in the house. Before your teenager knew that they were a teenager and they had autonomy and they could schedule their day and their weekend and their friends. And before they knew that they were making sandwiches in the kitchen with your bread and your bologna and your mayonnaise and mustard. Before you ever knew you had the right to choose something, God was providing something for you because he's your father. And before you ever talk back to him, he was wiping your mouth and putting the spoon in with little bits of food on it. God was your father before he was your king. You can trust your king because your king is also your father. That's why your attitude in prayer matters. You're not coming to a God with a hammer ready to smack you on the head because you were disobedient. Just like a father isn't, isn't necessarily ready to smack his children every time they do something dumb or stupid. A father is patient and kind and loving and makes allowances for, for childish mistakes. Do we, do we chastise a toddler for falling down when they're learning to walk? No, we actually celebrate them falling because it means they're trying. How much does, more does God celebrate even the falls and, 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 and while it may grieve his heart and hurt him when he sees us sin and fall to the wayside, if we get back up again, it's that old scripture from the Old Testament that says, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. I'm going to trip and I'm going to step off and I'm going to miss my step and lose my footing, but I'll get back up again because my Father is there with me. So we pray for the kingdom to come. Once we get the idea, God's my father, I approach prayer from relationship, not from fear. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. So if you know you're loved, then there's no fear. You come to your father with your bruises and your scrapes, your mess-ups and your sins, your mistakes and your failures, your blatant disobedience and your ignorant trespasses. You bring them all to your father and say, here they are, father. And God says, it's okay. We'll talk about that in a minute. You know, because when we pray, we often want to talk to God about everything we did wrong first. I don't know. I'm just, maybe I'm just talking for myself. But I often want to clear all the, get the elephant out of the room. Oh, God, I committed this sin. And, and, and Jesus is trying to teach you a new way of prayer. Put that on hold. Wait, let's not talk about you first. My kingdom is a little bit more important than the scrape on your knee. So let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, make your name holy in this world. Do you realize that the reason you're coming to God with your sin and wanting to confess it to him is because you've already recognized his name is holy, his standard is holy, and you've come against his standard? So the very fact that you're coming back to him to pray for his name is almost in repentance as it stands. It's right. the attitude behind it. You come to God, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. And so, well, how do I pray the kingdom of God to come? We already did it this morning. We held cloths in our hand 
And we pray for the kingdom of God to come into the lives of every student that's going to hold one of these cloths this school year. Amen. We pray for the protection of God's kingdom over those who are already citizens of a heavenly kingdom that they may not they may not fully understand or realize, but they're coming to church next Sunday to get one of these prayer cloths and become part of Back to School Sunday, and they're going to come under the covering of your prayer that the kingdom that the king would set up his angels to stand watch and guard over the kings uh, or over the, over the kids that are now under his kingdom kingdom of god come will of god be done we pray we're going to be praying specifically for every school in ajax pickering the durham region we're going to pray for the catholic school board the durham school board we're going to pray for the private school boards for the french school board we're going to cover all of those next week in prayer as we lead our, our children and pray over them because we want god's kingdom to come in every school district in every classroom we want god's name to be made holy above every other name there's lots of names going around these days there's lots of names being lifted up as the standard and the right and the good but we want God's name to be made the highest name above every other name that is named in heaven and earth. We want his kingdom to come. Now, if you understand that, that God's kingdom is coming, that you understand that there's another kingdom already in place. Colossians 1 verse 12 says that giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. What kingdom is existing right now? Remember what the word kingdom means? King's domain. Kingdom. So there's another domain going on right now in the world. Yes, sir. And the Bible says it's the domain of darkness. But God wants to transfer everybody from the domain of darkness to the domain of God. God wants everyone that's under the dominion of darkness. And anybody, by the way, who's not called by the name of Jesus is in one or more of those subdivisions of darkness. I, I'm going to hold up the standard of truth that says there's not multiple ways to God. Right. There's one door, and his name is Jesus. Amen. There's one way, and his name is Jesus. Amen. And that's why we baptize in the name of Jesus. We don't baptize in any other way but in Jesus' name because there's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the door to the sheepfold. If you're going to come into the, the sheepfold, you've got to come through me. I'm the door by which uh, all must pass through. There is, there is a narrow way, the Bible says. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. But broad is the way. And, and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. There's many that are under the domain of darkness and destruction, but God wants to put a transfer notice on them to transfer them out of darkness and into the kingdom of His beloved Son. This is the kingdom. So we pray, God, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying that and we know that while we pray that, the will of God is still being resisted and opposed in the earth. And the ultimate fulfillment of this prayer will come when Jesus returns and sets up his earthly kingdom on the world. But we're calling God to remember his promise. We're calling on God to remember. That doesn't sound right, Pastor. How, how, how are we mortal, finite, forgetful, I'd forget my head if it wasn't screwed on some mornings. 
I, I'm famous for we're about to leave and I'm the one running back into the house because I forgot my hat. And then I get back in the van and I realize I don't even have my keys. I gotta run back in and get my keys. I get back out and I sit down and I'm ready. I turn the van on and I go to drink a cup of coffee and oh, I forgot my coffee. So I go back in the house a third time. And my wife is like, can you just like, bring it all out at once? I, so how is it that me, God wants me to remind him? Isaiah chapter 62 Verse 6 says, I've set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, who will never hold their peace day or night. Who You who are his servants and by your prayers, put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. Keep not silence and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her a praise in the earth. Why do we pray without ceasing? Because God wants to give him no rest until he fulfills every promise he's made for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on the earth. God calls us to be the reminders of heaven's court. A remembrancer of the old courts was a subordinate officer of the English exchequer. And the office of this great antiquity, the holder, was have been termed a remembrancer and memorator or rememorator, register or keeper of the register, a dispatcher of business. A remembrance reminded and compiled all of the things that the king was supposed to remember. And he was to stand in the presence of the king and with his list he was to remind the king of the promises he made during whatever time that he made those promises and the, this 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 individual was called to hold the king accountable to his own promises and god says that i want my church to be my remembrancers i want my church to look for and remember the promises i made and remind me of them and hold me accountable because god wants to work with people in the end to accomplish his will. The Lord cannot forget, but in condescension to our forgetfulness, he bids us to act as if he could do so and put him in remembrance of his promises. So Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he prays a prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Notice we haven't even got to your sins yet. You've prayed for his name to be holy. You've prayed for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. But you still haven't even addressed the fact that you're a sinner needing the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. But he says, that's okay. We'll put that on hold. It's not as a priority. So let's pray for my, my name, my kingdom. Then we'll pray for your needs. But listen, it's give us this day our daily bread. Noticing that I'm not looking for the house on the hill, the mansion. And, and, and the servants and all of the, the fancies that this world has to offer. God, just give me exactly what I need for today. Meet my daily needs. If I need something today, God, I'm, I'm trusting that you're going to provide it. You're going to cover my finances. You're going to cover my car. You're going to cover my van. God, give my van to work today. Give my car to work today. Give me what I need just for today to make it through so I can be part of your kingdom and do your work. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Now we get to my sin. But notice my sin is in light of how forgiving I am of others because he says, forgive us this day our daily bread. Uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
So God, while I'm seeking for your mercy, I pray that you give me a heart of mercy for those who've wronged me. And deliver us from temptation. Deliver us. Lead us not, God, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Recognizing that Satan is trying to thwart the kingdom. He's trying to get those in the kingdom all twisted up with the things of this world. So Lord, lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil. In other words, God, lead me in the path that I should go. Lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. God, even if it takes me through the valley, even if it takes me through the trouble and the trial, lead me, God, not into temptation and deliver me from the evil one for thine is the kingdom. I reminded again, this prayer is not about me. It's not about my wish list. Uh, God isn't my, my heavenly bending machine that I put in the coin of prayer and I pull out my bag of chips. God is my father and he is my king and I'm part of his kingdom and I want his kingdom to be exalted. I want his ways to be lifted up. It's all about your attitude in prayer. Don't get hung up on the words you say. But make sure your attitude is in the right place. Don't get hung up on formalities. Don't try to just vainly repeat a, a special prayer. You could, you can get, you, now you can get Chat GPT to write you a beautiful prayer. You can get AI to to tell you how to pray. But it, if you're just reading words, you're just you're just reciting some beautiful piece of poetry. God isn't interested in the words so much as in the heart and the attitude behind your prayer. Can we stand this morning? We did some praying already this morning for the kids and students that are going back to school. But what is it in your life that you need God's kingdom to come and his will to be done in your heart? Maybe there's something in your home where you desperately need the kingdom of God to come. You need the righteousness of God to be exalted. You need the name of God to be lifted up. You need God's name to be lifted up on your street. You need God's name to be lifted up in your home. I wonder if there's a place we could come and pray and talk to our Father in heaven. I wonder if there's someone who has a need that you want to come and pray around this altar this morning and talk to your Father. You're not talking to a lawyer. You're not talking to a businessman. You're not even talking to a king initially. You're first of all and foremost talking to your Father. Is there anybody that wants to come and talk to your father this morning?